Hello, you are tuned in to Almost 30 Podcast. Welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. You guys are in for a treat. Such a treat. This episode, I was very engaged. (laughs) You know why? Because we felt like we had to be. Yeah, that's facts. In the best way. Yeah, this one with Vanessa Van Edwards is all about social cues, communication, body language. Yes. It's It's almost like it's subconscious. So there's a lot of the subconscious in it too. We talk a little bit about the media, the way they use certain cues and certain techniques to invoke certain feelings. And I'm so passionate about this because I feel like at all times we have messages being sent to us, whether it's through the media or whether it's through music or um, whether it's in conversations with people we love or people we don't particularly care for. And it makes us feel a lot of types of ways, whether it's anxious or afraid or loved or cared for or seen. And oftentimes we're internalizing these feelings as if they are all about us and they are, you know, our fault or that we are responsible for them and we are always responsible for our feelings. But there's so much happening that is triggering us to feel the way we do, that when we bring conscious awareness to a lot of the topics that we talked about in this episode with Vanessa, we can change or take control of our own emotions and feelings and responses. And we can also work and impact people in a much more powerful way. You can have a bigger impact on how you come across and interact with others. And it's really important because our whole, we're social creatures. Humans are social creatures through and through. It's so important to us. And so leveraging a lot of the things that we talked about in this episode are so powerful. I loved when we talked about just the ability that we have to impact another. You know, obviously we are feeling so many things all the time and picking up these cues consciously or unconsciously from other people, but then putting the power back in our own hands and being able to show up to a dynamic and know that you are putting your best self forward. You are balanced in both you know, warmth, as Vanessa shares with us, and competence. So this is kind of the characteristic yes. of that healthy charisma just makes me feel a lot more confident in entering social situations, entering a relationship dynamic. Because before I felt like I was unable to regulate when I would be swayed by someone's, whether it's their mood, their energy, and it almost felt out of control. And to kind of know and be able to be aware of that has just felt so much better. Yeah, I mean, it's really critical, especially if you have an online presence, if you have a business, if you're someone that's in the social media space or someone that's very external facing, even when you're at a company or in close relationships, it applies everywhere. By using certain cues, you're really showcasing your best self. Like you're really in that energy of that authentic self and that free self. And by being able to read other people's cues, you're able to regulate yourself much more easily. And it's really helpful because, you know, you'll be in situations communicating with someone and you'll be, you'll leave like, do they like me? Mm-hmm. And it's not, and and you can understand their cues and their body language to understand, oh, it's normal. I'm questioning that mm-hmm. because they were doing these things. Like it's normal. Okay. So, so now there's a, the observer again. So we're back in the observer mode where it's normal that I'm questioning that because I'm seeing these things happen. And also with the media, 
Yes. Like there's, we, we went into detail about this, but I think this is what's really powerful is she gave a few examples of studies where it is very clear how easily programmed we are or easily swayed we are humans um, by certain words, certain phrases, certain terms. And so when we think about that on a large scale, the way that certain phrases and terms and words are continually used in weaponizing ways how is that affecting us? Mm-hmm. And how is the media using our ability to read people's body language, ability to be triggered by certain words or evoke fear in certain words? How are they using that to further their media industry mm-hmm. <laughs> and continue to like be afloat as a company because they make money from us responding in the ways that we do? Yeah, she gave the example of just two different news channels regardless of what you feel about the politics of either, how they portrayed this particular politician when they were put into office or elected into office and how one of them was like very heroic, you know, the picture in which they use the angle, the words, and the other one was a little less complimentary or just kind of putting them at like a disadvantaged... It's like both are using the things. So it's exactly. like whether you support this person or not, both are using tactics yes, exactly. to make you feel in alignment to their way. And I think when we understand these things, we can take our power back. Yes. And life is so much about more subtle and nuance and the in-betweens and the tiny and the minute than it is about the big. You know, if someone, you walk in to meet someone and they had their arms crossed and they're looking at you with a furrowed brow. It's like, yeah, we know that doesn't mean warm. But what about when they, you know, slightly look away or something like mm-hmm. that? Like life is so much more about the nuanced things that happen in dynamics with people that we even realize. Um, and these tiny signals that we do, these these small things are happening 24-7. So you can also think in your relationship with your partner or with your best friend, like what sort of signals are you sending each other that you might not even be conscious of? So I loved our interview when Vanessa first came over, we sat down, we were like ready to rock. We're like, all right, let's do this. And the power went out. (laughs) Completely went out. Like the whole street. Yes. The traffic lights went out. We were like, all right. Mm -hmm. Waited about an hour. She was so kind to to wait it out. Never came on. So Never came on. Thankfully, she was able to come the next day before she flew back to Austin. So Yeah. yeah feeling so, so good. The last thing I wanted to say was about just on that note of taking your power back, I was super, super happy. She gave this example of working with her own team, of being so present to those cues, whether it's body, words, behavior, that you can in the moment check in and in a way that is compassionate, that is safe, but also very much gets to an answer rather than glossing over some behavior that might be passive aggressive, that might be just non-communicative. And I think in business, it is so important that things are as clear as possible. So she gave the example of just saying, you know, hey, are we all, are we all good here? How's everybody feeling? You know, and giving that space to say, you know what, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by this deadline or what have you. And it's, there's nuance to that. Yes. I think <laughs> not everyone can feel comfortable to say like, hey, I'm actually not feeling good. But I think having that be a standard by which you create the culture at your company, brand, community, what have you is is pretty healthy. Yeah, completely, completely agree. 
Last thing we also talked about, social media. So how can you be more impactful on your social media, whether it's YouTube or Instagram, so that you're communicating more of who you are in a way that you want people to perceive you as? So Vanessa Van Edwards, she wrote the book Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. And she also has the book Cues, mm-hmm. which just recently came out. I read it on the plane. And it's there's a lot of pictures and images. It's very easy to read. I really really liked it, especially for us as speakers Mm -hmm. and people that are on camera and people that have a podcast. Our voice is really important. Our small cues are really important. So I got so much from this interview and from her book. I'm excited to be connected with her. And her website is scienceofpeople.com. And you can find more information about Vanessa Van Edwards there. Thank you so much for being a part of our community and for listening to Almost 30 when our cues were wild and crazy. (laughs) Back six years ago when we started and our voice were absurd. So we have definitely <laughs> been working on mastering our cues so we can be better podcasters and better people in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've been around for a long time, thank you so much. And if you're new, we're so grateful and we're so grateful for the way in which you found us. We have spirituality podcasts, relationships, wellness. We have about two a week. And you can find any more information about our show, about Lindsay, about myself at almost30.com. Yeah, we love you guys. Enjoy this one and we'll see you on the other side. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, we want to share a little bit about the sponsors who support this episode. I just started to incorporate a very specific supplement into my routine and it's from Pendulum Therapeutics. This is the first and only biotech company to both isolate an important beneficial bacterial strain and put that strain into a probiotic capsule. That capsule is Pendulum Ackermansia um, and this will help manage your gut health. As we age, we lose Ackermansia in our gut microbiome and taking Pendulum uh, is an easy way to get this acromancia back into your gut microbiome. So um, it's really, really important to be taking care of our gut micro- microbiome for our mental health, for our physical health. It is such a foundational piece of our health. Uh, you can be, you know, doing all the things for the diet and exercise, but if your gut health is not top notch, then your health will suffer. Pendulum's mission is to discover ways to better manage chronic illness through the microbiome and empower people to achieve long-term health. So if you want to take care of your long-term health, get the probiotic rooted in the latest microbiome science from Pendulum. Visit PendulumLife.com and use the code ALMOST30 for 20% off your first month of membership. That's PendulumLife.com, P-E-N-D-U-L-U-M-L-I-F-E.com. Promo code ALMOST30 for 20% off your first month of membership. I'm so excited you're here. So when I saw your book and when I read your email, I was like, huh, this is so interesting and intriguing because I've been really, really on this journey of wanting to master storytelling, wanting to be a better speaker, wanting to be a better communicator. And you know, as I've evolved in my life and as my relationships have evolved, as I've um, started a business with Lindsay, I realized that life is almost all about communication. Whether it's your relationships, whether it's with your community, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with your team, Mm. whether it's with a server, like there's just so many different opportunities we have to live a better life through verbal and nonverbal communication. And I think when we're thinking about 
growth and self-development and all the work that we talk about on the podcast, people often overlook very small changes that they can make mm. through verbal and nonverbal cues and communications and some of the work that you do. So we're like, all right, read the book, do the things, but there's so much that people can apply to their life today that will make huge improvements. So I'm excited to have you. I think oh. this conversation is going to be juicy. I had the same sort of realization as you where I realized there was like a hidden language being spoken around me, mm. but I was not speaking it. And I think that I, there was a time in my life where I didn't realize, why am I so drained? You know, why am I with this person and I don't feel seen? Why are people seeming to be on the same page, but I'm not? Why am I sitting here, but feel so lonely? Like I was having these feelings and they were all interpersonal related. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm hustling. I'm working so hard. Why do I feel so bad? Mm. Why do I have all these friends and I'm meeting with all these people, but I don't feel seen or heard, or I don't feel like I can be my true self? And that's when I began to realize there was these patterns that very charismatic, very authentically themselves people, they showed up a certain way, right? Like they walked into a room a certain way. They felt a certain way. They made me feel better about myself. And I thought to myself, what a gift. Those very highly charismatic people, and I didn't know this then, but I know this now, highly charismatic people are contagious. The reason we like being around people who are highly competent and highly friendly is because we catch that competence and friendliness, that when people are their best self, they bring out the best in us. And so I think there's two sides of the conversation today, which I was hoping we could talk about both, which is, yes, I want you to be your most charismatic, warmest, most competent self for sure. That's going to help people take you seriously. It's going to help you not be overlooked. But I also think it's a gift we can give to the people in our lives. So if there are people in your lives where you're like, I want my partner to be the, their best self. I want to help my best friend be her or his best self. There's also that aspect that we can be like positively contagious mm. in a good way. Yeah. I love that. I, I The charismatic, that word charisma, mm-hmm. sometimes like in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's the yeah, smooth, smooth snake. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the, room. the salesman, yes. you know? But, and I always have that accent. But <laughs> the way you described it, I'm like, yes. And I'm, I'm wondering like what the it's probably a little bit nuanced where what is the like core either belief or core aspect of that charismatic person that doesn't toe the line of like yeah. too smarmy. Yeah. Smarmy. Smarmy. yeah, a little okay. too okay. much. So there's research on this. So I'm going to talk a lot about, I'm obsessed with science. I'm like research. Those are audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Perfect. okay. So the research says that highly charismatic people rank very high in two specific traits. And this is important, I think, because a lot of the time when we think about charisma, we don't really know how to define it, right? It's like, it's like this, like, oh, this magical sort of quality. And it can very easily go into smarminess. But actually what the research shows is those people who are highly compelling, very captivating, very charismatic, mm-hmm. they are off the charts in warmth. So warmth is like likability, trust, friendliness. Like we immediately feel like, yes, you are my person. And at the very same time, competence. And they have to be a perfect balance of both. So competence is not just book smarts. It's actually capability. It's getting things done. Mm-hmm. It's being able to be relied upon. And so the reason why it's so, that's so magical is because it is very hard to hit both trustworthy and impressive, both friendly and likable and capable and competent. That's that magic sweet spot. But the good news is, as research shows, it can be learned. Yes, there are people who are born naturally charismatic, but we absolutely can learn it. We can learn to balance out those two traits. Mm. Have you ever had someone ask about, am I being fake? 
I could hear some people in our audience being like, well, I don't want to be fake. That feels fake <sighs> to yes. do that. Here's the good news is we know fake. We smell fake. Yes. We spot fake, right? Like, first of all, from an, in, from an intrapersonal perspective, being fake is exhausting. Yeah. I could teach you how to fake being warm, but there is nothing worse than pretending you like someone that you don't. Like, maybe you can do it for a lunch, but we know like if you're pretending to like someone, if you're faking warmth, it is exhausting and very hard to keep up. Second is, it's exhausting for us, but also mm-hmm. people smell yes. it. Yeah, like, oh, it's so, painful. Like, let's just talk about a couple of cues you cannot control, okay? So people who are faking competence, faking that they know something, it's very hard to do that. And it usually leaks. One of the cues that we cannot control is our blink rate, for example. And research finds that people who are guilty or sometimes in deceit, like they're deceiving us, or very, very highly anxious, their blink rate speeds up really, really fast. They just blink really fast because they are so anxious that they're trying to have time Mm. to process. Wow. So that's a, that's a cue we cannot control. So if you are trying to fake competence, it's going to leak out. So I would much rather you say, okay, I want you to have the kind of people in your life who you actually like and you want to show them that. And there's people you actually want to give competence to as well. That's, I think, the, that's an assumption I hope we can make is that, and we can talk about getting rid of toxic people because I think that's the first thing you got to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you could say that it's on a scale almost mm-hmm. where some people just engage in the scale of competence and warmth differently than other people, but it has to be authentic to you. Yes, and right off the bat, one of the first things I do in the book is I ask you to evaluate where you think you are in warmth and competence. Where do you lean? The way that I think we're authentic is we find like our flavor of charisma, right? So while, yes, highly charismatic people are warm and competent, we all have different flavors and that's good. So for example, there are quiet, powerful introverts who rank a little higher in competence. They can still be warm with the people they care about, but they're quiet and contemplative and powerful. And that is charismatic. There's also my bubbly extroverts who lean a little higher in warmth. Now they're smart and they can get it done, but they default to being friendly and likable with the people they actually like. And their bubbliness is their flavor of charisma. Mm. So those are both highly charismatic, but honoring our flavor and identifying where you fall on that scale, what's your default? And by the way, also what's your default in fear mode? So one thing I don't get to talk about in the book, which I I think we talk about here is like, what do you do on your worst day? Mm -hmm. So like, I've noticed that people, when they're really anxious or they're really nervous, I, I struggle with a lot of social anxiety, we default to one or the other. So people who in fear mode go to warmth, they get really giggly. They, they become bobbleheads. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you know? Yes. So yes. That's, yeah. de- that, that's because, oh my gosh, I'm losing myself. I'm losing myself. Just do something. And they'll default to really high warmth. And they walk away. And my students tell me, I, I walk away and I'm like, why was I laughing so much? Mm. I agreed with everything they said. It's because they went to warm. The other side is people who default to competence in fear mode. So this is what I do in fear mode. So when I'm really anxious, I just like drop as many facts as I could possibly think of. I I try to be as impressive as possible. And then I become like very robotic. I criticize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I criticize. <laughs> I'm like, what's could be changed? <laughs> I like it. Right. So that like that's good to know too. It's like, what do you do on your best day? What do you do on your worst day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can imagine that it changes with different dynamics. So, you know, a charismatic person who you describe as being balanced, I can imagine that there are certain people in their life relationally that have a hard time with how they are because holding the pose of that balanced charisma, Mm -hmm. if it feels natural, 
must be easy for that person. But mm-hmm. to have people in your life, maybe these are toxic people mm-hmm. who project onto your charisma, who mm-hmm. aren't able to really metabolize that type of person. What do you suggest? Yes. So my highly empathetic feelers, my feelers, my sensitive feelers who are listening, this is a real problem for you. Because what happens is you'll have someone who's, okay, I'm on the charisma scale. I'm a little higher in warmth and that's where I am naturally. That's where I feel like my most authentic self. Yeah. But they're really empathetic. And so someone comes into their world, a partner, a best friend, a toxic person, and their empathy makes them match. So all of a sudden, their toxic boss or their toxic colleague who's super high in competence, you're like, I want to be like them. I want to honor them. And so your empathetic nature pushes you into an area that's inauthentic. You force yourself to try to match where they are. And then you're exhausted and burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed. You don't realize it. So I actually think it's like a superpower gone wrong. Mm. But highly empathetic people, they flex a lot in the charisma scale. So when we talk about this in the book, like you can flex with different people. You can match your partner to honor them. But my highly empathetic people, it's like a superpower that goes too far because you give up yourself. It's like you're putting your own needs aside because you're trying so hard to match them. I think that's a beautiful thing, but you have to find your end. You have to find your limit. And that takes some serious self-exploration. Yeah, it takes... I mean, first is like the awareness. When I realized that I did that, I was like, oh my God, that's where all of my energy is going. Mm. And that's why I feel such a... Like I'm... Almost like leaving myself yes. on a regular basis where you I'm like, see you later. <laughs> yeah, you literally leave me. Actually, and there's cues that have to do with this. So let's get into like specifics of how this happens. Like when you're with someone, how does it happen? How do you leave yourself? Okay, so one, this study was so powerful for me because it made me realize what's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. What they found was if you are in a room and someone shows you a cue of social rejection, so a social rejection cue is could be nonverbal. So it could be an eye roll. It could be a distancing behavior. It could be a scoff. It could be a tone of voice. The dismissive tone of voice sounds like this. Um, I don't think so, right? Like we know that if our sister or our colleague says mm-hmm. that. So we hear or see a cue of social rejection. Immediately in our body, our field of vision increases. Like our pupils dilate so we can see more of our environment. That's, that was a huge aha moment for me because it realized, wow, the cues that someone else sends me, as small as a scoff, changes my own physiology because my body goes, uh-oh, someone doesn't like me. Someone just disapproved of me. I better see more of my environment. Where's my escape route? Are other people sending me cues of social rejection? What do I do next? Mm-hmm. And so the reason why you literally feel like you're leaving yourself is because your physiology has changed that we're constantly reading these cues and it's changing how our body is reacting, which is nuts. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, I'm unsafe. I'm scanning the room. Yeah. I'm going to leave my body because it's unsafe. And because I either don't know what to do next or I'm just going to go into defensive. Okay. Right? So I think that this is depending on who, mm-hmm. what kind of person you are. If you see a cue of social rejection, you have two choices or three choices if you're really self-aware. Defensive. It's not me. It wasn't my fault. Don't, don't I didn't do it offensive, which is actually, I think what you said, we said, I get, I, I get critical, right? How dare you? How dare you say that? How dare you think that? It's your fault. Or you go it's introspective. Oh, what did I just see? Wow. Why do I feel that way? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a drink of water. We're in a different slide. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to regroup and decide what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. And that's the third option. 
that I want people to take because I think what Matthew Lieberman at UCLA found is that uh, a negative cue, we spot it and it affects us. So like for what he did in his experiment is he brought people into his lab, he put them in fMRI machines, he scanned their brains and he showed them pictures of facial expressions. He found that when he showed people pictures of a fearful facial expression, so a fearful facial expression is when we widen our eyes up so the whites of our eye shows, you could actually, if you widen your eyes as wide as possible, you'll begin to feel anxious. Mm. So he showed people pictures of a fearful face. When he showed them pictures of a fearful face, their own amygdala fired. In other words, they became afraid. Okay, so just seeing a fearful face, you catch that fear. But here's the good news. The moment that he told them to label the face they saw, fear, the amygdala disengaged. So the moment you spot a cue, if you know what it is, it immediately disengages it. That is that hidden language that I felt like I was missing is these cues were being sent to me everywhere by everyone, positive and negative, and I was missing them. And so I felt totally out of control. I felt like I was constantly leaving myself. And I, I was like, I feel like I'm all over the place. I'm so drained. Learning to spot them was, that is the way that we disengage. So yeah, if you're in the office or you're with someone talking and they send you something negative, merely saying, I saw that contempt. I saw that smirk. I'm not going to let it affect me. That actually disengages that part of your brain. Because mm. how consciously aware is the other person of doing it? You know, I mm. think some people mm. are kind of unconscious in, in their actions. So what's that? Because I think if you were, so you take the break. Mm-hmm. If you were to, do you bring it to them? Like, do you make it a conversation? What do you think? That's the hard part. I mean, you know, social assertiveness, I think is like a very secret communication skill that we don't talk about enough. Mm -hmm. Being socially assertive means you're stating your boundaries respectfully and clearly, and you're calling people on cues or things you don't understand or don't like. Um, So you have choice, right? You can say to someone, hey, are you okay? All good? Or you can directly address it. You know, you say you're being, you say you're fine, but you don't look fine. Mm -hmm. Are you sure you're fine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of like, are we good here? All good? Any questions? Hey, let's pause here. I want to check in with everyone. How are we feeling? Mm. So like I do that during team meetings constantly. Whenever I see a negative cue, I'll be like, are we all good? Because a lot of times it has another, I've learned, mm-hmm. I used to think it has to do with me, right? I used to be like, oh, they hate me. They hate me. They're judging me. I said something dumb. But actually when I started to check in, it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with them. Yeah. And so when I would check in and be like, hey, like let's pause for a second. Are we all good? They'd be like, you know what? I'm just, I don't know if I can make that deadline. Mm-hmm. And I realized the cue of social rejection I saw was actually their own nervousness. Oh my goodness, that was freeing. So I do think that addressing them in a really like soft, safe way, being socially assertive in that way, actually you'll find out so much information that maybe is not about you. Yeah, so it's such a interesting thing to realize that the moment has passed. Like we say all the time, we want to be present enough to be able to, yeah, just really pause. Mm and address a social cue like that, whether it's with team or friends or what have you. And the moment passes and you're like, oh God. That's my dream. This is a really good reminder. And I love the language around that um, because I think too, working with um, women mostly, you know, there is that intuitive feeling, but that feeling body that is literally always on where... We're picking up on what someone uh-huh. might be thinking, feeling, uh, projecting, and it's it's a lot at times. So to kind of cut that energy a little bit and give it a safe space to be like, hey, what's 
what's really going on here or how are you feeling? Just want to check in. I feel like it's so, so powerful. Actually, let's talk about language. You mentioned language Mm -hmm. and you'll notice I said like, are we all good? Everyone okay? Any questions? I didn't say, I didn't use negative words. Mm -hmm. And actually that matters. And so this is the Mm -hmm. very, very end of the book because I think I talk a lot about body language and vocal communication, like the sound of our voice, our vocal cues, things we don't hear about. But verbal is important. The words we use matter. And especially in email and in text and in chat and Slack. So what the research shows, this is incredible, is that the kind of words we use change how we think and feel. So in one study, very simply, they had participants come into the lab and they, uh, one set of participants, they told them to play the community game. And it was like a prisoner's dilemma kind of sharing game. The second group of participants, same game, same rules, same room, but it was called the Wall Street game. They found that in the community game, two-thirds of participants cooperated. In the Wall Street game, one-third of participants cooperated. In terms of science, that is a massive difference for one word swap. And that was like, wow, what words am I using in my subjects? You know, what words am I using in the opening of my videos? What words am I using on my calendar invites? And I realized, especially like with calendar invites, if you have a meeting with your team and it's called meeting, You're priming nothing. It's called priming when we use words purposefully to stimulate expectations and attitudes. Mm. So meeting does nothing for me, right? I I have calls and meetings on my calendar all day. But if I see a meeting with my team that says collaborative session, I am actually more likely to be collaborative. So not only am I looking forward to that meeting more because that sounds way better than meeting, research shows that when we read words like collaborate, we are more likely to be collaborative What an easy way to set someone up for success. So I think when you're checking in with people, first of all, your calendar invites, your subjects, your emails, if you're in any kind of content marketing, your captions, your YouTube titles, we've found that when we use positive priming in our YouTube videos, we get more clicks because people want to be cued to be positive. Mm. It's also, when I say all good, are we all good? I'm literally searching for good, right? Mm. Are you you feeling okay? Mm -hmm right? Like not, are you feeling bad? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking for good. I'm looking for safe. And you can even say, hey, like I, this is a safe space. Like, can I help? Those kind of words are going to also prime people to literally want to be more open and more helpful and more collaborative, you know, and all those yes. things. So it's interesting too, mm-hmm. though. It's like, are you all good? And essentially they only say something if they're not good. So there's like a part of us that feels like we can't, like if you were like, mm. I agree with, I agree with the data, but it's like, if you were like, is anyone bad? Hmm. No one would say yes because I feel like people don't feel like they can. Mm. But if you're like, are you all good? And they're like, well, I need that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, w- I wonder if good is like a perm- it's like giving permission. A permission, with hope. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. It's like saying, like, yes. I want everyone to be good, but if you're not, yes. please tell me. It's also so I like, make it I don't want to rock the boat and be anything but good. So I'm good, but I have something. Yes. You know, there's like that too, where, and I think it's interesting with all of this, it's like, this is all happening whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. So the meetings, the captions, the YouTubes, the conversations, the things being said. So it is really important that you bring conscious awareness to it because that's when you can make the shifts. And it's kind of scary how like easily programmed we are. It is. It mm-hmm. honestly it freaks me out. Like when we think about the world and the state of the world today, bringing it up on a macro level, it's like, this is why this craziness happens. Like you put one word and people act totally different. Yeah. It, Here's just a really quick like global example. If we use the words anti-vax, yeah. 
it literally sets people up to be anti-something. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you use the words vaccine hesitant, you're actually changing them to be just hesitant. Yes. We don't realize even those kinds of labels, if you say that someone is anti-vax, you are literally prescribing them a position where they, there's no room to be not anti. Yes. But if you say vaccine hesitant, there's room, there's mm -hmm. space, there's permission. So the nuance. All, the, the nuance, all those words huge. matter. And you mentioned something really important, which is this is already happening. And that was where I felt like I was like losing opportunities. And I do think these are opportunities, like not even in a scarcity way. Like there's so many great opportunities just waiting for you in emails and in communication where you could take decent small talk, you know, a good lunch with a friend and make it like great. Like if you ask questions that are deep and sparking and you're hearing them and you're listening to them with your entire body, you're listening to them with your face and your voice and your body and your words, and you're setting them up for success, you can turn like an okay lunch to like a great lunch. So I think of it as like, it's already happening. These opportunities are just waiting for you to be picked. We hope you're enjoying this conversation. We're going to take a few moments to share brands with you that we love and who support this show. I've spent many years testing deodorants. Uh, I started out with a very chemical-filled deodorant when I was younger, a young teen, which kind of breaks my heart to think about. But I am truly shouting from the rooftops and raving about each and every. There's so many reasons to love it. It's a natural deodorant formulated for sensitive skin and it's founded by women, which we love. It is simple, it's safe, it works. You need to try it yourself. It's so good. My favorite scent right now is coconut and lime, but I have my cedar and vanilla like close second. Uh, there's so many amazing scents to choose from. And I highly recommend ordering a set so you can really find your favorite scents. It applies so, so smoothly. So with a lot of natural deodorants, sometimes it irritates my underarms and it's hard to put on and apply, but this goes on so smoothly. Plus it's good for the planet. All the ingredients are vegan and cruelty-free. It is formulated and made safe with hand-selected ingredients like coconut oil and dead sea salt. Just feels so great on the skin. No irritation at all. There are no artificial fragrances. All of the scents come from natural essential oils. Uh, it's been proven to fight odor as well as an antiperspirant. You gotta love it without the aluminum, parabens, or other hidden nasties that some brands have. We know you're going to love each and every as much as we do. So order today. Right now, our listeners are going to get 30% off all sets and bundles. I'm telling you, get a set. You're going to get 30% off, which is insane. All sets and bundles, 30% off from each and every. Go to eachandevery.com slash almost 30. That's each and every, spell it out, eachandevery.com slash almost 30 and use the promo code almost 30. That's 30% off any set or bundle with promo code almost 30 at eachandevery.com slash almost 30. Oh, Buffy, the best comforter I've ever slept with. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love my Buffy comforter to the moon. And if you don't believe me, it has over 18,000 five-star reviews. So customers agree. It is the softest, fluffiest comforter they've ever tried. And what I love so much, first of all, I love a few things. But what I love so much is that it keeps me at the perfect temperature. Okay? It 
keeps me at the perfect temperature. So cozy without overheating. I have a tendency to overheat. The Cloud Comforter is covered in ultra breathable eucalyptus fabric. What I love about this, eucalyptus uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow and its fiber is produced using recyclable earth-friendly solvents. So it's sustainable. It's also hyperallergenic. This is for my, my people out there that have a lot of allergies. The high thread count also shuts out dust, mold, and mites for a healthier sleeping environment. So it's hypoallergenic plus high thread count. And it's machine washable. So I've thrown this in my washer and do not worry about it because it has an innovative stitching pattern that keeps its fluffy fill in place. The comforter's fill is made from 100% recycled water bottles. It is so comfortable. (laughs) So these water bottles are transformed and given a second life as a super fluffy fiber. It feels even softer than down while keeping approximately 50 bottles out of landfills and oceans. So cool. Also, the average down comforter harms 12 geese, but Buffy's comforter is cruelty-free. Love that and so proud of that. Krista and I are obsessed. I am no longer sleeping hot. (laughs) Truly is so comfortable. Helps me maintain a really nice temperature. And of course, it's sustainable and helps the earth. We love it. You can try a comforter in your own bed for free. If you don't love it, return it at no cost. Buffy.co. Enter the code almost 30 for $20 off your Buffy comforter. That is B-U-F-F-Y.co. Use the code almost 30 for $20 off your Buffy comforter. When you say experiencing it with your body, mm-hmm. um, because I know what that feels like, but uh-huh. it doesn't always happen. What does that mean and how can we do more of that? So our brains are cue reading machines. We are naturally exceptionally good at reading these cues, but for some reason, I think we've been trained out of it for a myriad of reasons. Mm -hmm. Kids and children are actually exceptionally good at reading nonverbal. I mean, think about it. We're not verbal for the first year, two of our lives. And so we are very good at reading cues. Tone of voice, we know our mom's Mm -hmm. tone of voice. We know when our mom is mad at us. She doesn't have to say anything, you know? So we're very good at it, but we've sort of trained ourselves out of it I think in the name of efficiency, maybe taking people at their word. And so I think that when I say feeling it in your body, it's actually your subconscious cue reading machine screaming at your intuition. This person is great. They are a good friend. Mm. Or this person doesn't believe you. <laughs> Please take a note. It's, it's like your intuition is constantly telling you that. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, so we did a big research experiment in our lab on deception. I've always been fascinated by deception because it's a very clear, you're either telling the truth or you're not. Mm -hmm. And so we have people play a little game with us. I share the game in the book so people can play it to diagnose their own tells. I think it's actually really empowering to know what your own deception tells are. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should know them about themselves. It's just a good thing to know. What do you do when you lie? So we have people turn in a video of them playing two truths and a lie with us. And we coded the responses looking for patterns on the lies. What did people do on that lying statement that was different than the truthful statements? And one of them, and this is why intuitively you like feel in your body like that doesn't sound right to me, is that liars often use the question inflection. Mm -hmm. So the question inflection is when we go up at the end of our statements. Mm -hmm. So everything sounds like a question. So the question inflection, liars often use it because they're literally asking, do you believe me? 
they know it's not real. And so they don't give a, a neutral inflection, they ask. So people will often give two truths and the lie has the question inflection. So, sounds like this. <clears throat> uh, so I love dogs and uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and I'm a vegetarian. Wow. <laughs> I'm not a vegetarian. <laughs> so you'll hear it because mm-hmm. they're, they're giving it away. Now, if you're very in tune with your body, and this, obviously, we're not playing too slide. We usually have much higher stakes in romantic situations or social situations. Your body goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. And research has found that when we hear the question flexion on a statement, it makes us go from just listening to scrutinizing. Yes. It literally changes where we are processing the words in our prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. That is crazy because that means your brain knew, wait a minute, wait a minute. Truthful people do not use question inflections on statements. What's happening? And our prefrontal cortex begins to light up. It's like, wait a minute. We need to figure out what's happening here. We become more adept at reading faces. So our body is like really trying to help us spot out anything that isn't congruent. And Mm -hmm. that's what we want in our really good relationships. Really good relationships, they're effortless because everything's congruent. Mm -hmm. They're verbal, they're nonverbal, they're vocal, even their imagery. It's all aligned. They like you, you like them. They share likable things. And your body's like, this is easy. This is an effortless relationship. It's when relationships are incongruent where you see she's saying she's happy for me, but it sure doesn't feel like she's Mm. happy for me. That's when we start to use energy because our subconscious is going, something not right, something not right. What would it look like if that was the case where someone was saying that they were happy for you, but they weren't? So your body would begin to like send off red flags if uh, one, you saw a mismatched facial expression, which I'll show in a second. Two, if you saw a mismatched vocal tone, so sounding happy, but not uh, saying you're happy, but not sounding happy. Mm. And then three, any kind of nonverbal red flags. So for example, if someone's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for you. And they have that smile that's just on the bottom half of their face. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reach all the way up into their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only true indicator of happiness is actually when these upper zygomaticus muscles, I think I pronounce that horribly, but these upper cheek muscles are engaged. Anyone can fake smile, right? I could sit with a fake smile in my mouth all day, but these are actually really hard to activate consciously. Only one in 10 people can consciously do it. Mm. And so it, well, first someone would say, yeah, yeah, I'm so happy for you so happy for you, where their face is not real. Second, they have a tone of voice that sounds more apologetic than real Mm. or more judgmental than real. And the last one would be any kind of nonverbal red flags. So it could be a lip purse, could be a contempt smirk, could be, I think there's maybe 10 or 15 danger zone red flags. These are the ones that make me a little nervous that uh, liars do, that people who are being guilty use. So that's how, like specifically, Mm -hmm. when your spidey sense is like, what's happening? We're looking for those things. Fascinating. I wonder if as a child, so say you were a child and you grew up in a home with parents that were giving you mismatch of cues. Mm-hmm. So then you're, the way that you've learned is actually not correct as it relates to society. So how would someone work with that? Oh man, that's me actually. So um, I grew up here in Los Angeles. My parents got divorced when I was two and it was like a really horrible divorce. And I had to switch every three and a half days houses and they both immediately got remarried and I immediately got new siblings. And so it was like very difficult to learn any kind of natural communication because it was very complicated from a very young age and I could never quite get my bearings. I think that's why I have so much anxiety. Right? I think that that's where my, my I call it awkwardness, comes mm-hmm. from is because... I could not like regulate. I could not figure out 
the natural responses to things. And so that that's me too, if that's mm-hmm. you. And we have to work a little harder. I think a lot of times soft skills come naturally with really great parenting. Parents say, hey, like, you know, you look someone in the eye. Wow, she looks happy. Look at her face. They kind of really kindly teach you social assertiveness and these cues. I didn't have that. So I have to learn soft skills like hard skills. Like when I study for people, I literally study like I study for chemistry in college because I, it does not come naturally to me. And so we have a lot of folks who, a lot of my students are like engineers or very highly technically brilliant people or people who are empathetic, but don't know how to use it as superpower. Power. They have like so much empathy that they are like, how do I figure this out? So if that's you, that's me too. And it's, it's possible. Mm. Some unlearning. It's some unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about nonverbal cues. So whether it's using your body, your hands, mm-hmm. um, because in my experience, when I've observed people, sometimes it's super powerful to use the body. And then it's also super powerful at times when they're more still. Mm. So I would love to kind of pick that apart. Yes. Okay. So you're right about that intuitively. Let's talk about still versus like dynamic gesturing, right? Like that was a very specific cue that you brought up. So leaders, people who are high in competence, remember we're talking about a scale here, people who are really high in competence, they waste no energy, right? They are very purposeful with their movements. They don't have extraneous gestures because they want to use, they're, they're all about efficiency and getting things done. Highly competent people, they're about getting it done. Efficiency, capable. Highly warm people are all about building rapport, getting connection. So they are more likely to use more gestures to make a point, to uh, feel that we're connecting on a level. So they're going to gesture more. They're going to reach out and touch more. They're going to have more hugs. Even though those might be extraneous gestures, like extra gestures, they're still willing to do it. So neither of those are right or wrong. That's what we're talking about flavors. You have leaders who are very charismatic and very still, but you know, wow, they're hiring competence. They're not wasting a single gesture. And then you have people, I think... um, the example, the per, there was actually a study that looked at Margaret Thatcher versus Oprah Winfrey. Hmm. Literally, these were two researchers who compared <laughs> these two women. And they're both very charismatic women, but look and sound totally different. Oprah is a gesturer. She's hmm. all about the gestures. She takes up a lot of space when she's gesturing. She has a lot of facial expressions. She uses a volume dynamism. Like sometimes she's up here. And sometimes she's down here. So she has a lot of, and we like that. It's very charismatic. Whereas Thatcher was very still, very precise, very delivered, very measured. And we still like that too. Um, uh, Actually, let's talk about also gesturing specifically. You want to play a little game? Okay. So this is a study that looked at poker players. And they wanted to know if people could judge how good someone's hand is based on just watching a video of a poker player playing. So they gave participants three options for videos. You could pick A, the whole body. So a poker player, you know, whole body playing and holding their cards. B, just the head. So you couldn't see their hands, their feet. You could just see their facial expressions, their head movement as they played. And the last one is C, just their hands. So just them holding their cards as they play and put cards on the table. What video clip would you choose to try to make your decision of who has the best hand at the table? A, B, or C? Face, B. Face, B, okay. I'd say whole body. Okay. So most people pick whole body because they're like more information better, right? So sorry, it's not A. Actually, that's too much information mm, for our brain. Mm-hmm. 
The next most popular choice is B because we want to see someone's face. We're like, yeah, that we can. They leak their face, their tells, and their, yes. and their facial expressions. But actually, really good poker players are excellent, adept at hiding their facial expressions. That's why they wear yes. glasses. A lot of times, they can mask. It apparently like affects their ability to communicate after poker. One hundred percent, because their whole time is I'm spent sure. hiding their emotions. So afterwards, they're I like, I don't know how to have <laughs> uh, emotions. Two does. Don't worry, that's a question. <laughs> 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 okay, that's next. That's next. Poker first, then Botox. Botox and research is actually really interesting. So uh, the correct answer, uh, obviously, is hands, because what happens is a, it's really hard to lie with our hands. And so the reason we like gestures is because they don't often lie to us. So we like when someone says, you know, I have three big ideas and they hold up three. We're like, yes, three. I can see them. They're right there. (laughs) If I were to say I have three big ideas, three big ideas, but hold up the number five, it's actually, A, it's really hard for my brain to do that. Like my brain almost like had a breakdown. Like just say, say three and hold up five. Go ahead. Three. Three. Yeah. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like your brain's like, no, no, no. (laughs) It's hard for our gestures to lie. So our hands, that fluidity of movement is really important because it's usually honest and you can pick out a good poker player based on the fluidity of their movement. The more pride someone has in their hand, the less gestures they waste. They're very purposeful with their cards. They don't fold them. They don't stack them. They don't uh, futz with them. They're very clear and clean with their movements. And Mm -hmm. so the reason why we like still or fluid gestures is because we know that's a mark of highly charismatic people. The only gestures we don't like are nervous gestures. So nervous gestures are like cracking knuckles, uh, fidgeting with jewelry, fidgeting with rubbing our our neck or wringing our hands. We Mm -hmm. we know those are not dynamic gestures because those are self-soothing gestures. We're trying to calm ourselves down. So even in the gesture world, I think I have like, you know, 10 pages on gestures in the book. And that was even like cutting it in in half because gestures actually hold a lot of, a lot of juicy intel. I saw someone the other day just like kind of picking their, you know, picking their nails or skin or something like that. And it was like, it's all both of us could focus on. I was like, you know, it's like those very small. Because your spidey sense Mm -hmm. is like, why is she doing that? Mm -hmm. Am I making her nervous? Is it a social rejection cue? Or is she nervous for herself? And do I not want to catch it? Remember, we catch anxiety. So this is a really gross study when I'm about to share, but it's very impactful. So what they did is they had two groups of people. Everyone was wearing sweat pads to measure the sweat under their arms. Mm. Okay, how much they sweat. One group went running on the treadmill. So they had to just run on the treadmill and sweat, 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 sweat. The other group went skydiving for the first time. Okay. Then they took these sweat pads and they had people smell them. That's the part you go, gross. gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they didn't know what they were smelling. They just were like, smell, smell. And they found that people who smelled the skydiving sweat pads began to feel afraid. They literally had activation in their own fear processing part of their amygdala. In other words, when we are anxious and afraid, we even emit a chemical, a smell to other people that they should also be afraid. So... When you're with someone and they are anxious, we don't want that anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we are super aware. Do you look anxious? Do you look anxious? I want to catch that. That's another reason why I think, I don't get to talk about this in the book, but I talk about it a lot on my blog of like getting yourself right, like feeling like really good and competent and mm-hmm. warm and confident. That is so important because that is a, a cue you, you can sense. You can smell it if you want to say smell it. And so like working on your own 
confidence and competence and feeling like you know your stuff and you like yourself, that's yeah. super powerful. I think about 2020, 2021, 2022 kind of too. Mm. Like the Why? fear. Let's not think about them. No, I'm just joking. Yes. Yeah, those years, mm-hmm. like the fear and the anxiety. You know, when we think about how powerful the feeling of fear is and how contagious it is. Um, yeah, I remember those moments yeah. of like, mm-hmm. you know, whether you were texting or calling with a friend or family member mm-hmm. who maybe had a fear yes. attack. Yes. And, yes. and then this feeling of, should I be afraid? Oh, yes. I feel, you know, and then yes. it's like, wait, I didn't feel afraid before one minute yes. ago. That's like, yes. that was the problem with all these like back-to-back Zoom calls, right? Mm. So, and this is, I think, still happening a little bit where like you have these back-to-back Zoom calls and you're good. Like you got your coffee, you're ready for your presentation. Like you're you're on it. You've like got your hair did. Like you're good. And you get on and they're like, gosh, someone's like, those numbers. And then someone's like, yeah, did, did you hear about this person? Did you hear about that? You know what they say? They say another wave's coming. And then you're like, oh, right. Yeah. And that is not only the verbal reminder. So you're hearing verbal priming, right? So you're hearing verbal priming for bad, but you're also catching the emotion of that fear. And that's why I think that those years and those months are were so exhausting because we were on like this emotional roller coaster. We could not get ourselves straight because you could say to yourself, I'm good, we're good, I'm safe but you'd be on a video call with someone who didn't feel safe and you'd catch it. How and do we, again, that's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. That, that's, that's being human. Mm-hmm. I want to be empathetic. I catch it too much. I've been, I've been catching it my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, that's been my work is not catching it because I match very easily. And that's yeah. been like most of my life is matching. And I don't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. So how do we stay in the awareness of being empathetic. So the person understands that we're being empathetic, mm-hmm. but then not take on the energy and leave. And you're like, I feel how they feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. So first I think is um, self-diagnosis, right? So I talked about the how empowering it is to know your own lying cues. It's also empowering to know your own charisma cues, right? So like, I want you to know exactly how you show up authentically and naturally. So a couple challenges. One, I would highly recommend uh, doing a lying challenge, seeing what your lying tells are. But second, I would recommend finding a video meeting or a video clip of you when you felt great. So it could be a presentation. Mm. It could be uh, you know a team update. It could be you with a friend. I want you to find a video of yourself when you were like, I was so on that day. I was my best self. And I want you to code yourself. How did you sound? What kind of words did you use? What kind of nonverbal cues did you use? And the more that we can know ourselves, it helps us understand, okay, in empathy, that person is happy, anxious, competent, warm. I know where I need to come back to, but I'm going to go with them for a minute to make them feel heard and respected, but I know where to ground myself and where to find myself. So it's a matter of like allowing yourself to go with that person and recognize it, spot those cues, but then also be like, I know how to get get myself back to center. And that also has to do with understanding your social energy, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm sure you guys talk about extroverts and introverts all the mm-hmm. time. Do you talk about amberverts at all? No. no. Are they both? So I think everyone's both. Okay. I know. So this is right. Like, this is like the everyone's myth. like, I get tired when I'm at parties all the time. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I need to recharge sometimes. Like, it's like, a, yeah, fucking course. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay. So I used to get very annoyed by the question, are you an introvert or an extrovert? That's Carl like, Jung. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. extrovert, introvert, actually very few 
people in the population are true extroverts and true introverts. If that's you, great. Know those superpowers. Extroverts have superpowers and introverts have superpowers. Most of us, I think the last stat I read was around 80% of us are ambiverts. I am also an ambivert. We have an ambivert quiz for free on our website if you want to go take it. <laughs> I love a quiz. Yes. Yes. How I love a quiz. <laughs> I just like, I, I think it's, it's an important term because it's quite empowering. Ambiverts can flex into extroversion when needed and they need recharge time to be able to flex. Mm-hmm. And so why this is important is because everyone expends social energy differently. So for example, I know that my social battery drains really fast when I'm in a loud environment. Yeah. I don't know. For me, like some people thrive in a loud environment. Like I have friends who are like, if I can get into a loud club and just sort of like lose myself to the music, I'm good. (laughs) And let myself um, get programmed. (laughs) I'm like, I'm on the floor. Yeah, same. So, that loud place even just made me nervous. Like just then I was like self-soothing. I was like petting my own head. I was like, it's okay. You're not in a loud place. You're not in a loud place. It like made me really nervous. Like You're just, not at the club. Just yes. even thinking about the club. Yes. I was so my nail salon. My nail salon, this one I go to now plays classical music. And I'm like, <gasps> okay. Okay. So I know my own social battery. And this is another thing to know about yourself is like, what spends your energy faster? Is it people, places, or things? So for example, I know loud places, including like rooftop bars are like a little bit of a trap for me. I'm cold all the time and I'm it's loud. Nyeh, not my best self, right? Like I'm like need to go home by like 8.30. Whereas like a intimate dinner party mm. with like people, I even knew people, I'm good for hours. I can stay till 2 a.m. And that really surprised me. So I would think about who are the people, places, and things that drain you really fast? And who are the people, places, and things that fill you up, that recharge you? That's really important too, because it's really hard to be charismatic in your lower places. It's really hard for me to be charismatic at a loud networking event after a conference. Like, I shouldn't even go, yes. really. I'm just not charismatic. Like, I know what I should be doing. I know my best self cues. I can't. It's so loud and I'm so tired from the day. So I always, at conferences, go really early to breakfast like I love going to the breakfast for everyone because I know I'm like, I'm a morning person, so I'm there. And I sit at multiple tables mm-hmm. because I skip the happy hour at the end of the day. It's just like, it's not my place. So it's starting to figure out like, where do you spend your love social that. energy best? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think with what we do as well, where especially in these trips where we're recording all day or mm-hmm. we have like a full day, it's like being very aware of what recharges us, even if it's like a walk that we take, getting out in the sun, you know, just certain things. Having quiet time. No talking. We go, no. I kind of love that. But we know at this point, we don't say anything, but we'll just be quiet. (laughs) I should do that with my toddler. No talking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually curious, would you suggest, because in our relationship, we're super close. We know each other Mm -hmm. very well. Is there a time when we can give like feedback to each other? Because I'm curious yeah. like how I come off maybe in a presentation that we're doing yeah. or even just socially yeah. or in interviews, just giving each other feedback in a way that's like kind, loving, but also like 
because we care about one another in this setting to be the best that we can? Oh man, what an amazing question. I do that with I don't my want husband. the feedback. So. Okay. Yeah, no, just that's, a, that's a you thing. I'm just kidding. No, I love it. I would, I would love it. That was great. That was great. Well, because we're We close, will want the you know, yeah. you know. Um, we already have our list ready. We're like, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even started. We're like, okay, so you do this thing. So when you blink. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, that arm thing is. We're going <laughs> to workshop that together right now. Yes. Okay, Vanessa. Oh, yeah. So this is a, if, if you can find a person, your person, and this could be a partner or it could be a best friend or it could be a colleague too, mm-hmm. where you can have a safe space to talk about cues. So every time that my husband and I drive back from a social event, so my, most of my cues that I are, I'm not proud of are social stuff because I get social anxiety. Business-wise, I feel pretty good about. So I always, and I, my husband's also my business partner, so it's helpful. I will literally, after an event in the car on the home, way home, we say to each other like, okay, how'd it go? Are you happy with how you came across? Do you feel like yourself? Like we would literally ask each other that because oh, so that. often That's we cool. leave ourselves. Yeah. Like he said yes. to me very lovingly, I'll actually give a really specific example. So this is maybe 11 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Um, my hero, my absolute hero, uh, Dan Ariely, if anyone knows him, he's an author, a behavioral scientist. I love scientists. He wrote Predictably Irrational. If you've heard of that book. Yeah. So he came over for dinner because he's like, oh, I love your work. And I like fell on the floor and like fainted. And then I was like, yes, please come over for dinner. So he comes over for dinner and I was so awkward. Like I wouldn't stop talking. I did not ask any questions. I interrupted him. It was a disaster. And my husband lovingly afterwards was like, what happened? He was like, who were you? And we've been together for 15 years. And I just broke down in tears. I was so nervous and I was trying to make such a good impression. I just lost myself. Mm. And I was like, was it bad? He was like, yeah, it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad. It was bad. Like I never heard from him again because it was so bad. Mm. Like I lost that relationship because it was so bad. And so I think that having a safe space either right after, I actually think right after is really helpful. Yeah, because I think you're that's st- good. Yeah, you're like still Put in the mood. Put your list away. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I think right after is good. Being in the energy. Yeah, like yeah. in the car. But I, I like that partner thing too because yeah, I sometimes feel like I'm like, oh, I would love to just kind of yes. see how I came off. Cause I'm in my own fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, legit. Yeah. Oh, that experience was I'm only like, me. I crushed that. <laughs> I was like, yo. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think also like in your teams or like after car rides home are great, but like in your teams, like set up like a 15 minute postmortem. Yeah. Especially on like pitches and presentations or big meetings. Mm. We have that on our team where I'm like, everyone stay on afterwards so that we can do our own little regroup for everyone. Powerful. So yeah, like on long days, maybe yeah, it isn't after every interview, but yeah. like at the end, you're like, okay, like we're going to go get some matcha and like talk about the day. Yeah. I want to do that with, with mm-hmm. my husband too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I'll hear him on calls. I'm like, you said that already. <laughs> you know, Dak Shepard, his podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Monica Padman calls him out on his cues on air. And I've heard it during interviews. Wow. And it's so interesting. So for example, I was listening to a recent recording and she goes, Dax, you're flexing your nostrils again the nostril flare, it's a anger cue. So when we get angry, we wow. take in oxygen to fight or flight. And so we recognize nostrils is like a very aggressive cue. It's very weird, but it is, wow. a, it's called nasal wing dilation wow. for all of my folks that want the actual term. And so she calls him on it. She says, it looks aggressive. 
Dax, you're scaring our guests. That's because he has so much Botox. Speaking of, <laughs> thanks for Does the he transition. Have a lot of Botox? Yo, yes. his, listen. his face has morphed. He got some. What? You'll you see. Look at before so, now. Should we talk about Botox? Yes. Okay, first of all, there is something called poker talks where poker people get Botox where they so they don't oh, show their reactions. That's wild. Yeah, it's like a it's like that. a thing that dermatologists know exactly what they mean when they want poker talks. So a lot of really good poker players, they, the reason you can't read their face, they literally can't move their face. They do it before, right before a competition. Um, second is they have found research that in a good way, um, Botox can inhibit emotional feedback loops. So for example, empathetically humans, when we see an angry face, we make an angry face without even realizing it. Those muscles actually activate and then we actually begin to feel angry right? So that is a feedback loop of how we feel empathy. The problem is if there are people who are around fearful or angry people all the time and you're catching it all the time, having Botoxing your anger lines can actually make you feel less angry. Botoxing your fear can make you feel less afraid. They're actually thinking about using it for psychiatric treatment as a way to inhibit the fear response if we are overreactive fear-wise. Mm. I love medicine. They're like, problem, we don't solve it. <laughs> Botox, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only bad news is, is there's one positive emotion, which is happiness. Mm-hmm. And that is those upper muscles. And so if we Botox too much of those upper muscles, not only do are we accidentally showing fake happiness, but we also inhibit our own happiness. We actually feel less happy. So all I would say is just be aware of this. If you're going to do Botox, maybe be a little careful and not do too much on the happiness lines. Like do yeah. some, but not too much because those are actually really important for your own happiness. And if you're with someone who you know has a lot of Botox, reading facials is probably not going to be an option for you. You need to focus on other cues. Yeah, it's so interesting. Before I knew what that was, I feel like it was probably pre-LA, but when I would meet certain people, and by the way, I have Botox in my forehead. When I would meet certain people with a lot of Botox, yeah. I would internalize this feeling of like, wow, I don't feel connected or oh. I feel like you know, maybe I wasn't interesting because they're express, you know, it was, (gasps) so I really love, I love facial cues. And as someone who's gotten Botox in their forehead, I do feel that, that slight effect. Yeah. And I don't love it. Yeah. It mellows you. It mellows you. And obviously it's a neurotoxin. We can talk about that, but I do feel like, (laughs) yeah, but I, it's mainly the feeling right here where I'm like, it feels like I have like a thing on, like a little headband yeah. on wow. or something. It it's called the facial feedback hypothesis. Like our facial expressions are an integral part of our emotions. So mm-hmm. even when you're alone, you make facial expressions. It's weird that when you're alone, you still furrow your brow. You still make a sadness expression. So yeah, so if you've numbed that, you're numbing an aspect of the emotion. That is not always bad, but it is something to be aware of. Sure. I also have someone in my life, very close, I won't mention them by name, but I have someone very close in my life where they also have a lot of um, plastic surgery and Botox and they have no emotional response. They just look constantly surprised. And it has definitely hurt my feeling like they are listening to me. Mm-hmm. because there's no physical response. And I have to remind myself, it's happening, it's just happening behind the face. It's going so fucking crazy. <laughs> you're like, yeah, so like, blah, blah. And you're like, it's happening just fine. <laughs> I literally say that to myself. It's so fucking I crazy. I keep thinking about the little kids, the little ones yes. that are present within us and within the world that are looking for the response of the social cues. Yes. And for us that maybe 
got it incorrectly or not incorrectly, maybe just got it in a different way Mm -hmm. and how much you want that. Yeah. You know, I feel that in my heart. Yeah. And I think this is the problem for very stoic folks. I have a lot of stoic students, a lot of really, really smart people who try to stifle everything. I had a student say to me, I wish I had a mute button for my nonverbal. I wish I could just be like a robot and just like listen completely, not giving anything away. And I, 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 we laugh, Love but like, I, I think there's a segment of the population, they really want of to course. hide it all. They want a mute button. They want to be really stoic. And the problem is, is it's really hard to be effective, excited, capable, mm. passionate in the face of apathy. It's really hard for an employee or a best friend or a child. I have a toddler. She jumps with her body. She rolls on the floor when she's excited. I think that we forget that you are stifling their emotion by being stoic and not mirroring any of it back. And so the more that we can gift mirrored emotions back to someone, as long as it feels authentic to us, that is actually like capitalizing their own happiness, passion, capability, and efficiency because you're matching it and adding to it with them. Mm. How does this relate with toxic people? I'm always mindful because I do feel like people overuse the word toxic people. Mm -hmm. They're like, they're toxic. And it's like, maybe Mm. you didn't have boundary. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a two-way connection that's happening within every situation and some are helpful and some aren't. So how would someone recognize them? How would someone confirm by looking at the the cues what they're feeling inside? Actually, let's not even use toxic. That's actually not a word I use very regularly. I prefer the word dream killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DC. Okay. 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 Uh, like a dream killer. So there's dream builders and there's, there's, I think there's three different kinds of people that matter to us when we're talking about like encouraging us or not. There's dream builders and there's dream killers and there's people we're ambivalent about. And ambivalence is actually one that I really want to talk about because that's actually can be more dangerous than a dream killer. So dream builders, they add, they capitalize, they are curious, they want to build, they want to bring out the best in you, they infect you in a good way, contagiously. We love dream builders. Dream killers are not always bad. And that's why I don't use the word toxic is dream killers just have a very particular way of thinking. They tend to be very skeptical. They like to poke holes in ideas. They ask hard questions and they think they are being supportive, but they are actually taking away, right? They often can be stoic in the face of your happiness. They might infect you with negativity or skepticism or make you anxious or worried. Dream killers need to be contained, right? You have to know when you're going into a meeting or a conversation with a dream killer. So if I have a business idea that's in the dream stage, I do not go to my dream killer people. Like I'm all with my dream builders. That's the brainstorming. That's like, give me idea. Let's collaborate. Could I do it? When I'm in the stage where I'm like, okay, I'm really, I feel good about it. Like I'm confident. Okay, like give it to me. Like poke holes in this. I'm gonna get stronger from your dream killing. So dream killers can be good if you are ready to be stronger from them. Mm. And you can give them boundaries. You can literally say to a dream killer, hey, like I'm just in the brainstorming stage right now. So I'm not gonna take any questions in this meeting, but in a couple of weeks, I'll be ready for all your hard questions. So I'm just gonna present today and we'll talk about future projects or projections later. You can literally say that to them and they know, oh, this is not my time to dream kill at the moment. So I think that putting boundaries on dream killers and knowing their strengths is really important. It's not necessarily about avoiding them all the time. The people who I get more nervous about are ambivalent people. So there's a a study that was done with police officers and they wanted to know what was harder on police officers' morale and burnout. Was it 
their toxic colleagues, and I think they do use the word toxic in the study, or was it ambivalent colleagues? What they found was is that police officers who had toxic people in their workplace, they knew who they were. They actually weren't that draining. Mm. They knew, I do not get along with that person. I'm not going to go out to lunch with them. I'm going to talk to them for the minimum amount of time possible. And I'm going to make sure that I ask them just the question I need. So if you know how to contain a toxic person or a dream killer, they actually don't affect us that bad. It was the ambivalent people who actually caused the worst morale dips. Those were police officers who felt like they did not want to go into work. They were constantly overwhelmed. And that is because ambivalent people confuse us. Their cues confuse us. Mm. They're the ones who are like, oh, I'm so happy. Congrats on that promotion. And you're like, huh? Mm-hmm. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Ambi- ambivalent people, we're constantly asking ourselves, do I like them? Do they like me? Wait a minute. Did I just get a social rejection cue? And so it's actually the ambivalent people that I want you to think about more is we have to figure out what to do. Are you your best self around them or are you not? Gemini's. <laughs> That's why I don't fuck with them. Gemini's or Gemini's? That's my moon. No. That's my moon. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a Taurus. <laughs> to me, do you a like pi- me? I love Taurus. Stable, okay. steady. That's steady, my husband. Stubborn. To me, Gemini's. Loyal. I love you so much. And I have some powerful Geminis in my life now that are teaching me. They're fun. They're engaging. But sometimes the two sides, as a Pisces, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, See, you're not ambivalent. Oh, actually, that is a little bit of ambivalent because you're not sure. I'm not sure. I know. You, and that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is exhausting. Yes. I go insane. If you had to group those three groups of people in your life, the builders and the dream killer, for sure, the builders, dream killers. And there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I don't quite go in dream building. And they don't quite go in dream killing. Those are your ambivalent folks. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who keep you up at night. Those are the people who it takes you longer to text them. A classic sign of an ambivalent relationship is it takes you double the amount of time to respond to their emails or texts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because you're that's, like, that's literally I how I really, categorize things. Yeah, right honestly. <laughs> you're like, I don't really want to text them, but I should. I just says like, yeah. okay, I'm going to do it on my walk. Yeah. I hate that feeling. And I'm like, that's schedule it. That's ambivalence. Yeah, that's there's like a. One. Uh, friction mm-hmm. between there's a little bit of friction and like your body is your body is yes. like I just a little do it right now yes but I think that I in a way like COVID has been good for that I've been able to mm-hmm. let go of certain ambivalent people in the name of like hey I'm just like not going out right now maybe like this is your chance like the next six months to let go of some of these folks We'll be back in just a moment. But first, we want to share a little bit about the sponsors who support this episode. Okay, every single morning, I take Peaks Daily Radiance. I love it so much. I am really focused lately on creating beauty from the inside out. It starts from within. It really, really does. And that goes for my skin. I will say it till the cows come home. As you know, natural collagen production starts to slow down in our 20s. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. And vitamin C is vital in the production of collagen and plays a key role in keeping it plump, supple, and glowing. So the Peak Daily Radiance is a liposomal vitamin C, which is maximized for absorption to help you have healthy, glowing skin. And it also provides immunity support. And it has organic elderberry superfood complex. So this is just a really potent antioxidant. This helps smooth and brighten skin for a dewy glow and it helps combat hyperpigmentation from the inside out. And it is delicious. It is so freaking good. (laughs) I take it every single morning. I just love that this is like a new addition to my skincare routine. 
I use vitamin C serum already, but to ingest it, whole other level. It only has seven clean ingredients. It's non-GMO, non-soy, no refined sugars or preservatives. And I want you to try it, okay? Peaklife.com slash almost 30. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash almost 30. And for a limited time offer, get 10% off plus free shipping and a free Peak sampler pack with six of their best-selling flavors when you head over to peaklife.com slash almost 30. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash almost 30. The offer is already applied when you click that link, peaklife.com slash almost 30, 10% off plus free shipping and a free peak sampler pack. Let's be real. I think we can all probably up our fruit and veggie game. Anybody? I know. Sometimes it's hard, but I'm really putting in the effort. This year, I, I'm I'm changing that. And that's why I'm keeping my freezer super stocked with Daily Harvest. It is the easiest way to get more fruits and veggies into my every day. And they really do make the most delicious food that I can make in basically five minutes. It's good for you food and good for the planet. So basically what Daily Harvest does is it delivers unbelievable like harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more all built on organic fruits and vegetables that are frozen at peak freshness and delivered right to your door. And it is conveniently in your freezer. So you're not going to waste food. Hey, anybody get a bunch of fruits and veggies, fresh fruits and veggies, and then leave them in your fridge and they go to waste? Nothing is worse. (laughs) Um, Okay. Right now I'm obsessed with the Daily Harvest Broccoli and Cheese Harvest Bowl. It is so freaking good. I also just tried the tomatillo and pepper flatbread. Yo, the flatbreads are Kristen and I's favorite. We literally make them every time we're in the studio. Literally takes minutes to prepare and never ever do they use preservatives or added sugar or artificial anything and that goes for every single product. It's so impressive. They have breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, or a snack. They got you covered. It's it's the best. I literally tell everyone. So if you want to try Daily Harvest, go to dailyharvest.com slash almost 30 to get up to $40 off your first box. That's right. That is right. That's dailyharvest.com slash almost 30 for up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash almost 30. I would love to talk about tone of voice. Yes. Because that is part of what we do here at Almost 30. We're Big using our voices all the time. And, and you guys um, have great vocal power. When I listen to your episodes, you, I always oh, sound so relaxed. Uh, thank That's you. what people say. Thank yes, you. it's so true. It's, evol- it's evolved, which has been so cool much. to track. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, big time. Should I go back and listen to like one of your early episodes? Yes. Start yeah, from the beginning. I mean, I think you would find it super interesting. Oh, I would. Because at the beginning, one, I didn't have a voice. Like literally, it was... Vocal, like I lost my voice many times. You had nodes, right? I had nodes and yeah, it was just, it was bad. And I I feel like we were both- In our heads. In our heads, not quite comfortable yet. Mm -hmm. Very like- Excited yes. and frenetic, so it was like up here and uh-huh. you know just blah, blah, blah. so it it'll it would be interesting for you to, oh, to compare. Do it. But yeah, I would love to talk about the the power and the importance of the true tone. Have you talked about maximum resonance point with anyone? No. no. So true tone, I think, is another way of saying that. So maximum resonance point is a place in your vocal range that is the lowest natural part of your range. So everyone I believe has, and I'm not musical, so forgive me for musical. I believe everyone has a, like a natural range of like 12 notes, something in there. Mm-hmm. I have a little tutorial on my blog with like an actual 
digital piano. And so in that 12 range note, like I can be up here with my daughter, right? Like, and this is like very natural to me. And I'm like, hey baby, I love you. And that's natural to me, but it's really high. So if I were to do this entire interview like this, it would drive your listeners a little bit crazy. It's a little high, but it's still natural for me. Mm. But then when I go into lower end of my range, this is the lowest natural note I can hit. Now I can go lower, but that's not, that doesn't feel natural. Then now that we're going to like Theranos, like, uh, <laughs> you know, so like, let's Yo, use her as an example. I actually exam. need you to break her down let's to do me it. after. Yes. Okay, so like, actually it's, a, it's a, part of the same conversation. So okay. Elizabeth Holmes read the same research that we've all read, which talks about, <laughs> we like people <laughs> who use their maximum residence point. We like people who stay in the lowest end of their natural range. And that is because when we're nice and relaxed, my vocal cords are relaxed, my shoulders are nice and down, I have lots of space in my, mm-hmm. in my mouth, my Invisalign's out, I have no shoes on, like we're good. Like I'm very relaxed so I can speak nice and low. When I get anxious or nervous, and I'm going to do it on purpose for you, my vocal cords tighten and I begin to get a little bit less uh, power in my voice and I begin to go in a lot more vocal fry. And the more anxious I get, the more I tighten my vocal cords, the higher I go in my range and the harder it is for me to hit a, a perfect strain. And we can actually hear that anxiety. So when someone's like, hey, everyone, it's really good to hear you. We can actually hear the anxiety, right? So, so maybe that's why vocal fry is not pleasant to listen to. That is exactly yeah. why vocal fry is. Wow. It's because we, yeah. we know vocal fry is when our vocal cords are rattling together. It's when we don't have enough breath and nervous people don't have enough breath. So that's where we get it. Elizabeth Holmes read the study, I'm sure of it, that said, we like hearing low voice because we, we know it means that they're relaxed. So I think what she did is she went literally to her lowest note. So <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes, her. Yeah, yes, spoiler alert, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos <laughs> did not do good, nice things and she lied. And so she, she had a voice. So she would talk like this when she was speaking in interviews and she would talk really low and you just knew <laughs> naturally, it was just like not her natural voice because it just sounded you too sound low. You sound exactly like her. And it was like way down here. And she would say, I have really, really big dreams for my company. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be like, what is wrong? Like people like listen would be like, this does not sound right. Yeah. yeah. That's not interesting. I, so my assumption was people respect men more. I need to sound like a man. Mm. So this study was for both men and women, which is amazing. So that actually both men and women who use their lowest maximum resonance point do better. So it's not necessarily the man with the lowest baritone does yes. best. So what's interesting is, is there was a kind of a reveal that came out that her colleagues, her coworkers said that when she got drunk, she'd go back into her natural range. So it was pretty confirmed that when she was relaxed and there's old, if you listen to really old interviews, I think maybe Vox did a whole like expose on it or Vice and they found old clips of her where she sounds like a normal human. Like she sounds like normal. And she's just a little higher, not a lot higher, but a little bit higher. This is like the danger of, I think, being inauthentic. It's not knowing your natural self. So the reason I encourage you to go listen to how did you sound when you were like on it, when you felt good, that's probably your natural maximum residence point. Mm. That's where you're like, I'm relaxed. I'm excited. I have breath. I have movement. That's where you sound like your best. And if you, by the way, are on a call or a podcast or video and you hear yourself go higher in your range, what you can do is take a deep breath and speak on the out breath. So what a lot of times what happens is people will say, hello, Hey everyone. And they say hi on the very top of their breath. And that's when our vocal cords are the most tense. The moment we take a deep breath and we speak on the out breath, it immediately relaxes Mm. our register. Mm -hmm. So if you hear yourself, try not to say hello on the top of your breath. So if you try it with me, so uh, just um, say hello at the very top. So ready, one, two, three. 
Hello. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next time, let's take a couple deep breaths, relax your shoulders, and then we're going to say a hello on the out breath. It's going to sound like this. Hello. 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 There you go. <laughs> wow. So much lower, right? So yeah. much. And that is just, ha- in that like two seconds, you went from hello to hello. Hello. And that's mm. because our vocal tone gives away how much breath is in our body. And that is why we are so sensitive to sound. We know we can hear anxiety and we catch it. And so that's why when we're listening to someone who we really like, I think really successful podcasts like yours, we like listening to you. Where people who are really nervous and can't get a hold of their cues, we don't want to catch it. Yeah. So we work with podcasters. We support podcasters Mm. and their podcast journey. And it's a good thing to think about Mm. because there is something where it felt like an X factor Mm. where you'd you'd think like, there's just an X factor. And a lot of times it's confidence. A lot of times it's like the belief in self. And I think a lot of times it actually is the cues. Because that that exactly, the second part of that, the corollary to that is your confidence translates and leaks into yes. your vocal cues, into mm-hmm. your gestures, into your nodding. Like even when you're nodding, that's going to affect your vocal power. And so, yeah, it's that plus the corollary. I think a lot of the times what happens is like, even when I listen to Dak Shepard and Monica Padman, they're doing that podcast together. He does a lot of the talking. I think there's a lot of time where Monica is listening and she's not talking for 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden she'll talk and she's in the highest end of her range because what's happening is she's been listening. And so she wants to get a word in. And so she's holding her breath, Mm -hmm. right? So she goes, and then she finally gets her word in. And then she said that then she finally calms back down. Mm. And so I think that that can sometimes yeah. happen to her accidentally. And that can happen to a lot of podcasters is, especially when they have, when they're co-hosting, yeah. is they'll hold their breath because they're waiting to get their point in. And then they finally relax into their, into their resonance point. And by the way, a really easy way, like a quantifiable way to do this is, um, you know how when you're on the computer, it will show you where your voice is on that thing? Mm-hmm. What's that thing called? Like, yeah. It like shows your voice. Modulator. Yes. Modulator. Yeah. So to train myself on this, I opened up like GarageBand on mm-hmm. my on my Apple and I would listen, I would sh- I put in a recording of me and I could see when it was the high. I could literally see, oh my gosh, it's high when I first start talking and then I go lower. So if you want to literally see when you're going into your highest range, just open up one of those modulators and talk into it. Mm. Do hello, hello. <laughs> Record your intro, record your voicemail, looking at one of those things. The question inflection is often accidentally used on voicemail. So you'll hear people like, hi, this is Vanessa. I'm happy to hear from you. Leave a message after the beep. (laughs) And that's a very low competent voicemail. And if Mm. if your friend's calling you, it doesn't matter. But if it's people who are like potential clients or colleagues or customers, you want to be like, hey, this is Vanessa. I'm so happy to hear from you. Leave a message after the beep. Totally different. Right, same person, totally different feeling. So yeah, that can help too. Mm. With them, you mentioned social media posts, like Mm -hmm. captions on YouTube and Instagram. And I think a lot of our community are entrepreneurs or they're trying to grow their Instagram or their YouTube, their social. What are some tips you have for that? Yes, so many. So I really believe the kind of fun way to do this is to make your content be also warm and competent. So like, if you look at the cover of my book, I tried really hard to balance out warmth and competence cues. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at even like my Instagram, my bio is a mix of warmth and competence cues. So it's like bestselling author, competent, mom, warm. Yeah. YouTuber, maybe both. (laughs) Honestly. I study what makes people tick, Mm -hmm. competent. And so I try to have a balance of both 
cues, verbal cues, even in my profiles. When you look at my feed, I try to have a balance. So for every like stat or powerful quote, I try to have a funny story or a gif. For every knowledge drop, I try to have a, a vulnerable truth bomb. And so even like trying to match that balance in your content is really important. The cues you send in your videos, if you're a YouTube creator or if you're doing anything on TikTok or anything visual, we love gestures. We found that when we swapped our thumbnails with like a specific gesture, if I'm like holding up like a little gesture in the picture, we get more clicks. I think it's because I I teach on YouTube. Like I'm doing tutorials, deep tutorials. Me making a funny face is highly warm. So me being like, you know, my mouth open, smiling is highly warm, but I'm teaching. It's not a, it's not an all warm video. It's actually quite a high competent video. So when I'm like showing that I'm going to teach something really specific in my video, it cues the right people. So I think it's also like we're using cues not to cue everyone. You're using cues to cue the right people. So if I know that I'm teaching on YouTube in a 20 minute deep dive on Britney Spears cues, I want to cue people who don't want the fluff. Like I'm literally going to be talking about science. Like we're literally slowing down an interview of Britney Spears in 2006 and we are zooming in on cues. That is a high competence video. And so all the cues around that video are going to be high competence. And that helps me get a higher click rate and better engagement because I'm attracting the people who don't want fluff. I'm attracting the people who Mm. want to be on YouTube to learn. So I think thinking about like, who do you want to reach? Like, do you want to inspire and be warm and trust and friendliness? Great. Like cue those things. Are you teaching and dropping knowledge bombs and diving deep? Cue those people. Like even like the, what's the the Excel lady who's like exploded on Excel oh, yeah. on TikTok? Oh, wow. What like does she Milana do? Like sent us no that. Excel very well? Yeah. Like she's like exploded and on she TikTok. She has like courses. Yes, on Excel. And she has cued people with lots of competence. She's not like dressed as a bunny. She's not like a sexy Excel. (laughs) She's like, like, what happens when we do this pivot? (laughs) (laughs) She's not trying to be warm. She's trying to be competent. So people who are on TikTok and want to learn something, they love her videos. People who want like a dancing video are not going to watch her videos. Yeah. So I think that like, that's a really important thing to keep in mind is like you cue for your people. Yeah. You cue what you Mm -hmm. want to receive back, right? Yes. It's interesting. I was thinking about all the politicians that have the warm and competent, or the, it's, it's, Warmth and competence to be charismatic. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the warmth and competence in their bios too. It's like Barack Obama's like father, former president. That's totally. why I was looking at some of them. If you left out that part, that'd be weird. I know. <laughs> like another politician. He's like golfer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I would respect him more if he left it out. To be if he left out what, former president? Yeah. Maybe he does. Who knows? No, no. But it was a politician like that where they had the mm-hmm. two. And I was like, huh. Because they are very, they weren't very warm to me. And I was like, I forgot that you're a mom. Yes. <laughs> I literally yes. thought that. I was like, I hate this person. I, I forgot you're the mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really like savvy people or savvy press people or yeah. PR people, mm-hmm. like they're already kind of naturally doing it. Yeah. Like you might look at your profiles and be like, oh, I can't believe I'm I'm accidentally all warm or I'm accidentally yeah. a balance. Or I'm accidentally all competent. Like that's interesting. Like it's good to know about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think about how can we be with so much consumption, whether it's on social media or the news, TV, all these things, how can we just be a bit more aware how we're, what we're consuming? Yeah. Like, are there certain tactics that they are conscious of? News anchors. Yes. uh, Media. Media, like where we can just kind of be 
a bit aware of how it's affecting us because it's supposed to affect us, but yes. also not take it on. Um, so there's a video I did on YouTube. I would highly recommend checking it out. It's on um, Kamala Harris when she first uh, was announced as vice presidential candidate, not even as vice president. Um, I have two images. And this is whether you're not whether or not you support Kamala Harris or not, you should know the cues that are being sent to you, which is I showed the comparison of the announcement that Fox used and the announcement that CNN used, just side by side. And you can see the way the cues that they are using in the way they even frame that announcement. And I think it's really, really important to try to educate yourself on the cues that are being purposefully sent to you. Because I can tell you, I know with 100% certainty that they are reading the cues, that they know what the cues are, that they are using them quite purposefully and that they know the, the little mm. unconscious signals that they're sending with the announcements that they're using. A piece of education is not just knowing the politics, the who, the what's happening. It's knowing the framing. It's knowing what cues are being sent to you and you deciding if you want to believe that or not. So I think um, it's really important to educate yourself, to arm yourself, mm -hmm. to know, oh, wow, this person got positioned in this way. There is a reason they chose this photo with this color, with mm. this headline. Yes. And I want to make my own choice, whether you agree with that or not. Wow. I feel like that's all I see. No matter what I'm watching, I'm like, hmm. What was mm -hmm. the strategy? Well, hopefully yes. you don't have to guess as much anymore. I think that yes. like, the guessing is what takes so much energy where you're yeah. like, ah, I don't get that. Why do mm. they do that? I think like for me, like being in control gives me confidence. Like knowing, uh, yep, there was the head tilts. Oh, they did a downward angle. Like, so in this yes. in this video, I talk about how even the way that like when we look up at someone in a photo reminds us of our parents. When we look up at someone, we rate them as more heroic, more confident, more charismatic. And so the picture that CNN chose, which is usually a more blue leaning network, they chose an image of you looking up at Kamala Harris so that she looked more heroic. Whereas when we look down, at people in photos, we typically see them as less than, like literally when we're looking at like smaller children, we have to take care of them. They look weaker. Again, this is just like a subconscious thing. And so they had a different angle on her and they showed a different facial expression for her. But even just like the positioning of the camera can change your perceptions of if someone's strong or not. Whoa. Completely. And I would rather know that. Like once I know it, yeah, I'm like, same. cool, spotted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, mm -hmm. know what you're doing. Got mm -hmm. it. And now I can make my own opinion. Mm -hmm. <sighs> So much. This has been fast. This has been so, so good. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come on. Like, I'm oh so glad. Gosh. Anytime. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> and also, it's like when you're interviewing someone's an expert in this, you're like, I'm like, I keep touching my nose. <laughs> you like think about it. I'm like, I'm looking to the left a lot. <laughs> you, you like think about it. I actually think... This is a silly question, but breaking eye contact, I Dude, think Dude, I've good, got to. Right? Or else it's I'm going to literally well, enter your processing. body. Yeah, it's like... like if you ask someone like to do a math problem, like so if I'm like, okay, everyone, quick math. Okay, ready? 10 plus 10 times two minus three. Like if you actually want to do that math, you have to look away. Yeah. That's because we know that like eye contact is for yeah. listening and social connection, thinking deeply, remembering a question, trying to process something is looking away. We know that. So like 100% eye contact is bad. Yeah, it freaks me like, out. Like it freaks people out. Like yes. if you're making, so, so if you've Who heard that, eye contact is I don't is know. Good. I'm trying to, th I'm trying to think that I feel what it feels like. Yeah, you feel trapped. Yeah. I had that with someone and I felt trapped. Who was it? It almost feels like a narcissist. Oh, don't call it out. does, yes. Oh, they're like, like energy of soul. just like Yeah, like you're not gonna get out of my eyes grip. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It does feel like that. So like everyone listening, if you've been told that eye contact is good, that's true. Oh my god, I did it with this. I had this one interview and his oh, eye contact. Yeah, yeah. You told me about Tommy, that. Tommy, our video editor, was like, it was the craziest thing. So we're in this like duel. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I'm just like making eye contact the what? whole time. It was it was very it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> That's so eye contact is good, but there is, is too much of a good thing. Okay. Beautiful. Now I'm like transported back. <laughs> I would love to, for you to share where our community can connect with oh, you. Yes. So cues and captivate my other book is on wherever Yay. books are sold. It's really easy to understand. It's and read. fun. It's yeah, fun it's to read. Fun. It's fun. I, wanted, I wanted to feel like dessert a little yes. bit. Not like a textbook, like fun. Mm. I have Lance Armstrong in there and A-Rod and Brittany. And like, I was like, let's do some fun examples. Yes. And I also read the Audible book. Oh. So if you like my vocal power, yes, I do imi- imitate people. Um, <laughs> I do some impressions. That's amazing. In the book. Um, Wow. And then my uh, YouTube channel is Vanessa Van Edwards and scienceofpeople.com if you want to read more on my blog. Powerful. Powerful. So thankful. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Hopefully I'll come back. We can talk about business too. Yes. That'd be fun. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Love that. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Vanessa. That was so beautiful. It was beautiful to meet you. Again, the book is Cues, Small Signals, Incredible Impact. And the author is Vanessa Van Edwards. Her website is scienceofpeople.com. And if you are new to Almost 30, or perhaps you want to get acquainted with more of what we do here at Almost 30 outside of the podcast, you can go to almost30.com. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors for this episode. You can find all discount information in our show notes as well as on our website, almost30.com. Love you all. Thank you for subscribing and we will see you on our next episode. We'll see you soon.